0: And welcome to the Health Hacks podcast, the podcast for high-performing, professional females looking for practical ways to optimise all areas of their health and wellness. At Health Hacks, we understand that as a busy female, you wear numerous hats throughout your working week. You're trying to juggle it all, while also looking to carve out time to prioritise your own goals. It's challenging. It's therefore our mission to channel your energy into the areas that are going to help give you the biggest bang for your buck, to really make significant changes to your lifestyle in the most efficient way possible. So at the moment, if you feel as though you need more energy, you want to feel more productive to improve the quality of your sleep, to lower stress, to increase confidence, to show up better in both your personal and your professional relationships, this podcast is for you. If it's time you prioritised your health, learned to fuel your body, found time for exercise and said goodbye to fad diets and inconsistent behaviours for good, this podcast is for you. If it's time for you to step into the shoes of the high performer you know you can be, this is the right podcast for you. Join me and my guests as we take you through the Health Hacks podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Health Hacks podcast and I want to say before I do anything else, thank you so much for the incredibly warm response to our first episode with Bobby. I know at CWC we've been podcasting for a long, long time but this really does feel like a new chapter, a new project and for it to have the response that it did from Clients and, and non-clients alike, I cannot say thank you enough. So, if you did enjoy the the episode, we hope to bring you many more like it. Uh, which leads me to today, where I'm joined on the podcast with Dr. Yusuf Smith. Now, we do an intro to Yusuf in the podcast, so I will let that do the talking. But this was such a good episode to record. We were talking all things biohacks. And it's a field that I've become increasingly more interested in. So it was really good to get his expertise on it. It was incredibly wide ranging. It was a really great learning curve for me. Like I say, I've been diving into this field, but by no means I'm an expert. So it was really great to get his take on on a lot of these biohacks, which he's tested on himself. So it uh, it was great. Since then, I've been taking several of the practices on board. So you know, I'm all about taking action and there's a few that I've really run with and been implementing since we had this conversation it really inspired me to do that so as ever I will link everything that we mention in the show notes below and if you want to be an action taker too please let me know how you get on Just before we jump into this episode, if you haven't already taken our health check review, where have you been? As let's face it, we track a lot of data in our professional lives, right? We've got spreadsheets for everything. And we sometimes track in our personal lives too, be it calories or steps. But what about our overall health? What about bringing all of these components together to give you an overall health score? The Health Check Review does exactly that. So this series of evidence-based questions, it'll take no more than 60 seconds of your day and it will rate your performance over a number of arenas from formal exercise, movement, nutrition, mindfulness to give you an overall score. Not only that, but based on the data you provide, the Health Check Review will then give you personalized feedback on the areas you're currently strong in and those that you potentially want to give a little bit more work. This is wonderful for you if you're starting out and you'd like an initial score. You can then look to improve your markers over a number of weeks. You can take the test as many times as you as you like, or if you're someone who wants to pinpoint the areas of your life that perhaps need some attention. We talk a lot in this episode about being efficient with our time and energy. This would be a really good way for you to pinpoint exactly where to focus those efforts. The health check review will be linked in the show notes below. And of course, if you want to discuss the outcomes with myself or a member of the team, please don't hesitate to get in touch. We love your questions and we love to answer them. And the last thing that I will mention is, I don't know if you've seen, we've been talking about it a lot, but we are launching our six-week Power Challenge on the 6th of February, so next week. It'll be the 6th of February, running for six weeks. For those of you who have followed CWC for a while, you will be familiar with Power. This was a lockdown favourite. We run a number of different Power Challenges, This is an amazing experience. So you jump on board the program. We have a group of amazing women who get together and all want to make positive improvements to their lifestyle. You'll be working with a coach. We'll cover your training, your nutrition, lifestyle factors. The whole point of this six week program is we kickstart your fitness journey, but we teach you as you go. So like previous programs you may have followed, it's not a, a cookie cutter, follow this meal plan until you get to the end. Absolutely not, we want you learning as you go, sustainability is one of our absolute pillars to everything we do with the ladies that we work with. So, if you're interested, Power, our six week challenge kicks off on the 6th of February. That is next week. I will link it below, of course. If you follow us on any of our social media platforms, you can find a link to the application at the top of our Instagrams, LinkedIns, etc. So, without further ado, please enjoy today's episode with Dr. Yusuf Smith, Biohacking Debunked. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Health Hacks podcast. Today, I'm really pleased to be joined by Dr. Yusuf Smith. Yusuf is one half of Profane Fitness, uh, who help busy individuals elevate their body composition, but also help fitness businesses to scale and grow. Having previously worked as a doctor in the NHS, Yusuf has a unique vantage point where he's been able to experience both life in the public sector while running a business alongside it. How you have juggled all of this, I have absolutely no idea. And in addition to that, you're a healthcare professional that actually looked after and prioritised their own health, from working with a lot of doctors, nurses, clients in the health sector, the irony is it's often so difficult for those individuals to do that and I'm sure you can agree having worked the shifts that you have. Um, so with a view of managing all of this, the business, social media, the platforms, podcasting, YouTube, everything that you do, I know that productivity and my favorite word efficiency are high on your radar um, which is why, well, one of the reasons I was so keen to get you on the podcast as you very much walk the walk, talk the talk and optimization and maximizing available time is actually what we're going to go into today so firstly thank you so much for taking the time how are you how's everything going? Caroline,
1: what a pleasure to be on so yeah um, I'm doing well I've just been for a, a brief walk because of that exact thing I was like the irony of being supposedly the bastion of health and l- being sedentary inside a laptop all day or working constant night shifts and stuff, and you end up sort of neglecting your own health. So that's something that the shift into being self-employed forces you to create those structures and make sure that work doesn't just expand all, all vessels.
0: I couldn't agree more. I used to work on the gym floor, so you would rack up you know, 25, sometimes 30,000 steps a day, and then essentially when you move to an online platform, you now have an office job. I went back into the the, basically the nine to five, although you'll know from running your own business that there's no such thing as um, end of play or there's no such thing as the end of the day. The to do list never ends. But that has been something that you've had to really take command of, hasn't it? This change of routine for you. We won't dwell too much on your NHS work. I know that this is something that you have talked about a lot, but we will just to put it into context. You were were you in general practice? In,
1: in the so I I was a pre-specialty doctor. So um, what what happens is the the medical training works in these kind of phases, where I was just on hospital rotations as a kind of senior house officer, which is the 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 name for it. That um, does involve some general practice, but it's mostly hospital.
0: Hospital base and you moved away from from that to obviously now concentrate on your on your own on your own business um, the reason that I wanted to I, as i say i won't dwell too much on this but with um with healthcare and obviously the public sector, both of my parents were in the NHS so my dad was in general practice and my mom was a nurse and obviously I've gone down the route of running my own business so it's almost two different worlds and the overlap there is really interesting I suppose when I went to my dad initially and I said I'm actually leaving architecture remember those seven years of university I'm just going to leave those there and I'm going to go and set up my own business there is almost that hesitancy that reluctance that um there's, there's so much safety in, in public sector isn't there and 100%. you've seen and experienced both sides of it i'm sure there are merits to both
1: yeah it's the ultimate risk barbell and as you say your, your parents particularly because they've been acculturated into that mental model and that generational lens as well is well you go to uni you get a job you do the standard stuff and you get the safe income and then you get the house and the car and the dog and the wife and the um but Nowadays, because the the range of opportunity is just expanded geometrically, people haven't been able to keep up, and it's seen as the unsafe option. I would I would see it as the other way around, to be honest, um, but that's because it's kind of covertly flipped, and the, the university institution has kind of caught on that it's a bit of a moneymaker, and so then they start playing these games. And, and actually, if we look at average salary and job security and all these things, those assumptions that we used to have about the traditional model no longer really hold up and medicine is one of those funny ones where there's a quite a significant barrier to entry and and because you know for example over lockdown we were the only ones that if anything were more busy there was it was a guaranteed job security so I've got to be grateful for that because certainly friends around me were losing their jobs and not not having any security over what was going to happen over the next year. But that's a kind of risk barbell because you get the defined safe salary. It's very much capped. Pay as a nurse, pay as a doctor is pretty rubbish, but it's it's guaranteed that you'll always have work. If you then step off those guardrails, as, as you said, then you're out in the open and you've uncapped your upside and your downside, which is a pretty scary thing for a parent to hear, I imagine.
0: Mm-hmm yeah and that was even pre-pandemic so the conversation going into that was uh was something else but one thing I remember so vividly so so vividly they'd both come home from work they'd have the debrief together in the kitchen something that would always come up was how inefficient the system was or how poor the management was or how poor the communication was or you know things were, were lost in translation or this happened and, and this always came through to me that it always seemed like a as a young child all you would think about was oh there's such a problem you know why doesn't someone step in and fix it but and you'll know from running your own business that you can't actually afford for that to happen if there is a crease you have to iron it out the longer you leave that crease the firmer it's it's in the, it's in there and we need to we need to fix it and i think that's probably one of the things from running my own business that makes me i will use the word passionate about making sure that things are as smooth as they can be because ultimately it makes things so much easier.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that particular dichotomy really wound me up in hospital because the NHS culture is very much, well, we've always done it this way, so why would we make any changes? And you've got the combination of clinical staff at the front line being too too busy and too industrious to make too many complaints about things up the chain. So broken systems and inefficient processes and user interface and stuff, those those holes in the bucket don't get fed up the chain because people just hold it together and then it becomes more and more duct taped and there's there's no incentive at the management level to make these process improvements because they're not incentivized to do so and so you end up with this kind of terrible cycle where everyone's at capacity and they're they're holding things together and you, you turn up on the ward and there's six doctors on shift three working computers and one of them has a broken keyboard and so you you like and then you try and print off the blood sticker and you're running around and you can't find the the working printer and and you're wasting so much time throughout the day doing this stuff and then you obviously multiply that across the number of staff and the number so and and yeah so anyway I, i could get on the hobby horse for ages about that but The difference is, as you say, you come home, you're running a small business, you are fully in control of all of the processes, and so it's very much in your interest from a bottom line perspective to make sure everything is as efficient as possible. So that coming up at odds with this huge behemoth of an organization that just doesn't care about small process improvements really boggled my mind. Um things like you prescribe a drug, how many times do you prescribe a a drug in the average average day as a doctor? Like let's say 40 times, if, and that requires maybe eight clicks of the mouse. And um, each time you do that, it calls the server and produces a 10 second delay. So let's say you add up these delays, you multiply that by the number of times that a doctor or prescriber prescribes a drug in a day, multiply that by the number of people working in the NHS, like it's hemorrhaging time, but because it's time and it's not directly attributed to cash that goes unnoticed and so these huge leakages just get kind of perpetuated for years and years so it's a weird it's a weird thing to come home from that and then open a an M1 MacBook Pro and have everything optimized and if if a bit of software is too slow you can just switch provider and you're a lot more nimble running a running a small business
0: love that word love it i think the reason i actually wanted to start with this and the reason i really wanted to bring this as a as an example is that we really want to encourage people to basically bring as much efficiency into their own lives as possible you may not be running your own business however you have the control and the capacity to make things run as efficiently as you possibly can i think you and i would both agree that the smoother things are the less decisions that we're making throughout the day the most if think the more we can automate the better the easier things are life is hard enough why would we make it harder <laughs> Which is why we want to jump into today and talk about some biohacks. Uh, we've put a list together that we um, that we want to run through. I think we can both agree that in terms of education around health, wellness, I think people are pretty clued up when it comes to what they should be doing. What is uh, what's favorable, the kind of do's and don'ts we're now at that stage now we're trying to take things a little bit further aren't we that step further how can we you know enhance how can we optimize and this is where the term biohack fairly fairly new fairly this wasn't something i would have heard a couple of years ago potentially i think it's something that's a lot more prevalent in the in the uh, fitness space shall we go through what would you define as a
1: biohack first and foremost a biohack is something that someone is trying to do, a behavior or a tool, to try and accelerate some kind of physiological process or exploit a principle of physiology. That's what it should be. Now, obviously, there's a lot of bump in the in that world, a lot of red herrings and um, scammy products and all that kind of stuff. And this is where, as Caroline said, you, you don't have, if you're not working in the health and fitness space you don't have the time to individually assess the claims and sift through the data and everything yourself you need to leverage coaches like caroline evidence-based people who can synthesize the information for you and just find a couple of these nodes of you know, quality synthesizers of information that can basically do the filtering for you and make sure that they haven't got um, ulterior motives and that they they are legitimate and that there's you know i take out any of the financial incentives so if someone's heavily sponsored or whatever just take what they say with a pinch of salt um but i think that's kind of the the baseline of y- leveraging experts and synthesizers to to do some of the sifting for you um but yeah to 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 kind of address the biohack principle it is quite a new term it's something that has come about as of as a result of people being impatient and wanting faster results and making things easier and quicker. And, and obviously we all want intuitively, we all want the magic pill to, to improve our, our progress. So just to preface all of this stuff, I would say, and I'm sure you'd agree before starting any rabbit hole of biohacking, you need to stop the holes in the bucket first. So before you try and do anything that's adding in above the basics to take your performance or your physique to the next level stop doing the things that are making it worse and we all know what those things are you know you make sure you're you're sleeping seven to eight hours a night stop smoking stop drinking stop like damaging yourself and then once you've clogged those holes in the bucket then you can move up to the next level
0: such an important point to make that this is an additional level it's always when we get the question about supplements what supplements should i be taking well Let's look at your diet first. Let's have a look at everything that's going on there. Let's look at it and cover the bases first. This was a funny one for me. The more I looked into biohacking, and you know, it's, it's discussed a lot. What's the difference, you know, between enhancing or is this just a dressed-up version of a quick fix? It's almost that the the health guru's version of I'm going to sell you. Something that's I think is really important for people to be mindful of that. What are your sources? You particularly you, though, use if you test a lot of your um, biohacks you've done, don't you? You test them on yourself. This was another thing. The more I find out about this, and I'm like, how do you find the time? Literally, how do you find the time to? This? But you do a lot of your own testing, don't you?
1: Yeah, I'm just pathologically curious about this stuff. I'm obsessed with with all these things, and I quite like the idea that we have access to private companies that you can just send off a blood sample to and run a panel on yourself and do an intervention, see what the result is, interpret the results, see if you want to keep it in your life or not. Um, if you're very data minded, you can then start using trackables and wearables and spreadsheet out subjective measures of mood and sleep per- and performance and all this stuff if you want to, to see whether something has an, has an effect on yourself. Because the science is always going to be delayed, it, it takes some time for the science to sift through. If you want to skip all that stuff, the the basics will always work. Sleep, lifting stop smoking manage your stress clean up your diet meditate just like the the basic stuff that is kind of boring and everyone's like oh yeah i know that but you're like okay well when did you last go to the gym uh three weeks ago because i've been busy you know so we we know deep down that that stuff that i know you're a you're a big proponent of caroline is is the the core of of any practice
0: Absolute course we have prefaced it don't get shiny new object syndrome ditch everything that I've suggested you do and do all of these instead but we would like to jump into these because there's a few on this list that I'm not entirely uh, clued up on and I know that you have um you've actually tested some of these yourself so I'd like to go through are you um should we start with the first one?
1: Sure can I can I also just give people a framework to to assess any of these because we've got a great list from Caroline if there's any of these that You're thinking, oh, I want them to cover this, and they didn't. Here's a quick way to assess if a biohack could be useful or not. So there's the sniff test. Is it too good to be true or not? Does it require zero effort on your side? Um, Is there a physiological principle that it's exploiting? So lifting is perfect because you go in, you're producing a minor stressor on your body that you're within your capacity to recover, and then you super compensate and you, then you come back stronger each time like that makes sense as a as a principle and many of these the the ones that last the test of time they're ancient practices in some form so see if there's a historical or an evolutionary purpose to them and we'll go on to things like light therapy and why there is a historical purpose to to things like light therapy also ask yourself do i really do i just want this to be true or is it plausible um And then finally is it something which is producing a hormetic effect so this is like lifting where you go in you produce some kind of stress on your body and then that breaks you down and then you come back stronger or if you caught a caught a virus your immune system is is challenged and then it comes back stronger or is it a boost that you're taking exogenously such as performance enhancing drugs alcohol caffeine Things, things that are basically on loan that you have to pay the price for the next day. So that's the, the opposite of a hormetic effect.
0: I've never thought about it that way. So actually, go through the test first before you even consider. And the other thing that I'd probably say is be very, very mindful of how relevant this may be to you as an individual. And I know we always say this and your own goals, but you know, if you are someone who is actively looking to to grow muscle or you really want to improve your sleep quality or be very, very specific about your your goals at the moment and why any of these may or may not be appropriate, it's really important.
1: Yeah, great point. If, you know, if you're, if you're looking at nootropics, like drugs to enhance your cognitive, cognitive function and you're sleeping five hours per night, then... Really, you know what you should be focusing on first, don't you? So yeah.
0: <laughs> so I think we've um we've made our points, haven't we? We've um we've laid the groundwork, and let's go into a couple of these. Um, don't hold back. I know you're not afraid to speak your mind.
1: Let's do it. Let's go. <laughs>
0: uh, so the first one, we're going to start with um cold water therapy, or the likes of your ice baths, cold plunges. Etc.
1: Yeah. So cold water therapy is popularised by Wim Hof. He's the guy who held the world record for sitting in ice water for the longest time, and his his story was really compelling. He's got all the kind of ticks, all the boxes of of the guru because um, he's got the origin story, and he's he's a really magnetic kind of guy. And there is some there is actually some truth to the claims that he makes. So the claims of hot water of, of cold water therapy are immune boosting, mood boosting, and spiritual or kind of um willpower benefits there is also a claim that it boosts testosterone so if we look at the reality and the data in this cold exposure is something that you you are able to improve your tolerance to cold exposure so if you expose yourself to cold every day you're going to get better at tolerating cold is that a good thing in itself maybe, if you like running around outside without your clothes on, but what about the the benefits that are claimed? You've got the acute bump in certain immune markers that, in the Wim Hof study, the famous one is that they injected groups of people with an endotoxin and exposed them to cold with breathing or a control group. And the people who did the breathing exercise with cold exposure were able to clear the endotoxin faster so they mounted a better immune response to that toxin quite cool um, as for whether it applies to if you run well and you you do that stuff i'm not sure i think we haven't seen much outside of that kind of study environment but pretty interesting i've done it myself for a long time and i don't know if you have you done much cold exposure caroline
0: when I say I've done cold exposure, I've maybe felt a little bit tired and jumped in a cold shower, but I'll do it for what I, what I, in my head is like a minute, it's probably about 20 seconds. Yeah, i time, really, so like time is so slow. Like, time is so slow. But do you know what, for me, what's always been the, the benefit of it has been more along the lines of what you said right at the start is actually that, um... the the mood boosting that I really don't want to do this and yet I've just you know chosen to put myself in a very very cold shower for for no reason otherwise than to prove that I that I can um that's been the benefit really for well for me anyway
1: yeah have you ever seen the film Fight Club
0: oh god (laughs) so I don't
1: watch films so I yeah I think it's one of the three films I've ever seen but it's it's, (laughs) there's there's basically a bit in there where they're talking about because they they create a fight club and they they all, they have fights with each other every in the evenings. And it's kind of a secret society. And they say that the benefit is that after you've had a physical fight with someone, everything else in life is so much easier. The volume on everything else has been turned down. And I think that's certainly the effect that you get subjectively from having a cold shower first thing in the morning, like you roll out of bed, you're comfortable in the nice duvet and then you get out, shower on the coldest setting, blast yourself for three minutes everything else feels quite easy after that so so that's definitely a a, a quite a nice benefit and from a you know it makes sense that you can improve your your willpower with that as well first time you try it you will hate it you get the brain freeze it's experienced as just pure pain sensation um but it's almost like the first time you have a chili you're like oh that's just painful and then you go hmm but actually quite like another one
0: yeah, I could get used. Can I ask the question? If I've seen a lot of things on even on Amazon now where you can get the purpose almost like little it looks like a little pop-up bin that you can put in your garden and it's a designated ice bath. Is yeah. that something that someone needs? Or is a cold shower cold enough to mimic the benefits? Do we need we don't need to be jumping in a lake in Scandinavia? A cold shower is enough.
1: I'd I would just be progressive about it. So if you if it's something you want to try start with just having a normal shower and then just turning it cold for 30 seconds and then warming it back up. So you've got like a hot, cold, hot, and then maybe start on cold. And then maybe try start on cold, have a bit of a warm shower and then end on cold. And so that you're kind of getting used to it rather than just throwing yourself straight into yeah Swedish um, fjord or something. The, in terms of does a shower confer the same benefits as cold immersion? I imagine not. But what's interesting is that cold immersion is better, as far as I know, than the expensive cryo chambers um, that use the liquid nitrogen. So, don't waste your money on the cryo chambers; just go for the the low budget approach.
0: Just go. I heard that it was something to do with immersing your head. Is that correct? That you need to make sure that this portion of your head is is submerged. Is that completely? Yes.
1: I don't think it's BS, but there's, um, well, so so you you get a parasympathetic reflex response called the diver's reflex when your face is submerged with cold water. So that might be what they're referring to. Um, Having cold on your head is is just brain freeze and it really, really hurts. So I would prioritize your face rather than like your scalp if you're going to go down that route.
0: And can I ask one more question on this? We've actually, without maybe saying it, we've hinted more of this as a morning practice. The only other time that I could imagine me doing this would be potentially post-workout. Is there any, would there be any difference or benefit either? Does it not stunt hypertrophy or does it? Yeah,
1: so that, that's a, I'm glad you mentioned that. So in the morning, because you, it produces a stress response, so you will get a downstream set of hormonal and neurochemical a cascade of of stress response when you're exposed to cold again the reason it acts like coffee is because it does that gives you a bit of a boost and then as you respond you you get better at tolerating stress later on it's the same reason that exercise works well because exercise is short-term you know intense exercise short-term acute stress so that you can handle chronic stress later on whereas if you, you ever had one of those days where you just sat Kind of doing nothing all day and then you try and get to sleep and you're still feeling a bit wound up and because you've not really like moved your body and done done something vigorous so using cold shower pre versus post workout post workout it does it blunts the hypertrophy response because when you train particularly when you lift you induce a an inflammatory response and that that inflammatory cascade is actually what triggers the hypertrophy Um, the 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 muscle muscle size gain and and recovery um so if you interfere with that immediately after training you can improve your recovery but not your um hypertrophy so you let's say you've got a competition coming up and you need to just not be sore the next day you could go for that as a quick fix but it's it's gonna blunt your gains long term
0: i wonder if Pure Gym East Sheen has an agenda. Their showers are always freezing. Maybe what they're trying to do is I don't get any muscular gain, so I have to keep going back, so my recovery is on point, but not gaining any muscle. Their showers are so cold. Interesting. I'll run that by the by the management. Um, converse a complete opposite saunas.
1: Saunas. So the claim, the, the big one from saunas, um, this is like the big bro science claim is that they help you lose weight, and you will often see people sat in the sauna, trying to like grind it out, tolerating as long as they can because they think it's going to help with their weight loss. Now, if you've been following Caroline for some time, <laughs> I think you'll you'll know that that's obviously bollocks because what what's that doing for your calorie expenditure? Nothing. You just you're just being uncomfortable for a while. That's not to say that saunas are useless overall, but it's for for a fat loss purpose, you've just got to. Manage your calorie balance. Eat less food, expend more calories. The the what's cool about saunas is that there's actually a whole host of multi-system benefits that aren't really talked about. So, this ranges from similarly mood enhancement, um, improving cardiovascular conditioning, and cardiometabolic benefits. So improving your blood lipid profile, uh, detoxification of stuff that gets accumulated in the cells so we're going to talk about estrogen a bit later but there are some environmental sources of estrogen and plastics and microplastics that can't be metabolized in the liver and they just get stuck in fat cells and sauna and sweating is a good way to actually clear that it's an effective means of excreting that stuff Um, and we we have seen stuff in some data of um, symptomatic improvements from people that have had toxins uh, accumulating in them quite an interesting study of the firemen and building recovery people who helped out after september the 11th 2001 that started to develop what they thought was a parkinsonian tremor but obviously they were way too young to be to be developing that and some guy some surgeon took them through this sauna protocol with a couple of additional things and the towels were were like stained with purple residue and it turned out that what they'd done is they'd inhaled manganese and they developed manganese toxicity and sauna had helped them to actually clear it out
0: wow that is incredible that's i wonder who thought let's let's trial that as a my question used would be how frequently we have to engage in The duration of the sauna itself how frequently we would have to be doing that because again you see now people buy those kind of portable saunas for their for their garden or you can get kind of like a little shed thing um constructed versus me who might go to the spa once every couple of months sit in decide they think it's too hot after a couple of minutes and leave i'm going to guess that that isn't going to be net positive to my uh to my health
1: yeah unfortunately to get the the benefits that you see in the data the cardiometabolic benefits the improvement in running time to exhaustion pretty cool but the to induce the heat shock proteins and get these multi-system benefits you do need to it's quite a rigorous protocol that they put them through i think it was 30 minutes three times a week or thereabouts
0: that's Which, a long time it, it's yeah. not I don't find them that comfortable I don't you mentioned there about improving your cardiovascular I find my breathing gets really shallow when I'm in is that just pure cardiovascular health
1: it it might also just be that the air is quite thick isn't it but yeah, it, yeah. I, I do I do think anecdotally that women tolerate heat worse than than men I don't we know have if that's that extra to do with
0: layer the, don't we we have that extra layer of fat on us don't we does that do anything
1: Possibly, or maybe just the resting temperature. No idea. I just but think I you're should... a little
0: a bit more stubborn. So you're like, I've committed to this sauna. I'm going to sit in here for half an hour until I've shriveled. But that is a good point. I know you mentioned
1: weight points, loss, isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. How you know? How can I? How much room can I take up in this chamber? And how long can I sit here? You've seen the men. You know the ones that I mean, like particularly the older.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I know you mentioned and you caveated this about weight loss, but it is a practice that yeah, the likes of your boxers will use. But just to say they are doing that to drop scale weight for a very short period of time. I've got a bottle of water here. You know, as soon as you're consuming that after, you know, it's, it's just dehydration, isn't it?
1: Yeah. If you want to dehydrate yourself for whatever reason, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't recommend it. It's very, very dangerous to try yeah. and dehydrate yourself. But... People
0: even exercise in the sauna, don't they? They they, um, they will exercise in saunas to, to um, get down to those those weights. doesn't sound yeah. pleasant. I don't even like to sit in them. Um, I agree.
1: The, the risk reward ratio is not worth it. And one one thing I should say, just final point about LAD points, is that it can reduce sperm motility over time. So it's a reversible thing. So once you stop using the sauna, we've seen that sperm motility and number comes up again, but just something to bear in mind.
0: Well, that's really interesting. So cold showers are going to increase your
1: testosterone. Unfortunately, it's claimed that that's the case, but they, they acutely reduce testosterone. As well.
0: The is not having an easy ride of it at the moment, isn't
1: it? It's it's because you you your balls are outside your body. Well not, not your balls, but one one's balls are outside the body to maintain a very a very kind of uh narrow range of temperature. So if you mess with it they don't function optimally.
0: I've actually got two for the boys. We made our lists and I thought of two this morning that um I think we're being very um We're not being very inclusive in our list, so I have two additional ones for men, which I uh, haven't run by you yet, but we'll get to those. Um, This one is the one that I'm particularly interested in. I watched your YouTube video on this. Blue light blockers. Tell me more.
1: Yeah, so the claim is that they improve sleep, and this is just because as as the sun moves through its path, it goes from blue in the morning, in the middle of the day, and then tends to more and more red spectrum towards the evening. So the goal is to try and match that that pattern by waking up in the morning, going outside, getting as much blue exposure as possible, and then towards the end of the evening to regulate your melatonin and start getting yourself ready for sleep. It's exposing yourself to more red light. Um, I actually don't see this one as a biohack. I think it's more of an anti-hack because... We're being exposed to screens and blue light, unnatural sources of blue light, all day normally. So if anything, we need something to to counteract that. So the, I think the blue light blockers are just a way to try and offset some of the damage that we're being exposed to from constant screens.
0: Why, instead of us wearing these glasses, do we not have something on our actual screens in that case? Would that not be a better way to approach this?
1: Yeah, it could do. But then you'd also have to treat all your light bulbs in the house and every other source of light.
0: So you probably laugh. I probably live in the darkest environment, anyone, but I just I love dim light. What More of a, a an ability to transition into the evening. So all of my lights are very low. I never use ceiling lights and they're all quite dim. Um, I personally find that that helps me wind down. Um, but as you know, doing what we do, oh, very often you're on your screen very late into the evening and it's that transition that I find quite jarring, like sitting in front of a the, the very, very bright screen into, okay, I'm going to try and wind down now. The issue I have with blue light blockers as well is they're all bloody ugly. I don't want to look like, you know, like, do you know the ones that I mean? And they have those, and the ones that I've seen, I've actually reserved a pair and they're tortoiseshell. They're a nice shit. They're basically as close to my own glasses as possible. There he is. Now I'm not saying they're ugly. I'm just saying they're a look.
1: They're not the coolest. I mean, these are actually out of all, these are the coolest of the the lot, but you get these proper like wraparound sex offender ones that are just terrible. (laughs) So.
0: <laughs> but then you look like a superhero when you and it's just I just don't know that I want to be wearing those in the <laughs> evening I think I know the website that those ones are from and I actually have pre-ordered the nice color ones but the ones that I looked at don't have red lenses they have orange what's the difference
1: they're for different times of day so personally I just I, I don't bother with the of afternoon evening ones, I just go for the the nighttime ones. By so what
0: time? Do you remember? Do you have a specific time that you put those on?
1: Not always. What I, what I should be doing is have a, a, a notification or a, a daily reminder that says like, okay, it's nine thirty p.m. Put these on.
0: On so shocked we don't. We need to sort that. No, I, I
1: need to sort my. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they they are definitely like so in the data and in my experience from using them, improvement in circadian regulation time to get to sleep sleep quality and mood regulation and what's really interesting is that using them for in in this study three weeks in a row there was actually a cumulative improvement so people got better and better results from them the longer they did it which i find fascinating don't know why that is um do you have
0: to buy decent ones oh
1: yeah so if you go on amazon and you search like light blocking glasses you'll find some for about 10 quid that are basically lenses with a bit of red cellophane over the top yep. doesn't do the job and the way to test is get like find a, a a picture of a blue thing on your phone or if you have like a blue led for like, i've got a kettle that lights up blue and you put these on and you genuinely can't see that the light's on so
0: really is that the test
1: Yeah. So it works really, I mean, with, with these, they, they were about 50 pounds, but I think you buy them once in your life and then that improves your sleep quality forever. So I think it's worth it. And I can't tell if there's blue lights on or anything blue at night, you just, you just can't see it. So they're really powerful in that they block out as much visible blue light as, as you can get
0: as possible i just don't know what it look like wandering Earth. but it's not about what we look like it's not about but i'm um, <laughs> probably the one that i'm most interested in now, that, that this list and i will let you know when mine arrived it was actually the um the ones that you reviewed on your youtube
1: oh amazing yeah I, i'm looking yeah. forward to hearing your results with it like, with, i'll let you know how it goes um me, within like 20 minutes of wearing them i'm already like eyes heavy starting to drop off really maybe that's placebo but
0: but then equally, even if it is placebo, I would look at the net benefit of that and say, well, actually, if that's something that I want to, even if it's a trigger. Hmm. Um, Lumi lights.
1: Lumi lights. So these are the brand name, I believe, for a alarm clock. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's an alarm clock that, rather than blasting you with like a, eh, 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 it just slowly lights up the room um, and it's meant to be less abrasive, and slightly better in terms of not just like stressing you out first thing in the morning.
0: It's waking you up with light rather than noise. Is there yeah. mimicking
1: the sunrise? So I think in terms of does it live up to the claim, certainly it's less abrasive as long as you're not sleeping so deeply that you miss it. Um, some people will sleep so deeply that they need someone to physically come and sort of slap them to, to get them awake.
0: Or you do what I do and you sleep with an eye mask on.
1: Uh, and yeah. therefore,
0: find that <laughs> your Lumi light then becomes a little bit. um <laughs> It's not quite as useful when you've got an eye. You can. Um, I use one. Sorry, this is why I'm genuinely quite interested. Is I use one, and I use it for exactly the the reason that you've described. Is the I find that iPhone noise is just it's it's haunting, and it's yeah. such a it's a horrible That's way. To wake it. up in the morning. It's absolutely <laughs> horrible. Um, so i needed to find another method of waking that wasn't making me kind of wake up with this like heart beating like ready to go um feeling in the morning so now i like the lumi light i put it on the half an hour setting so it's super super gradual and then i use the um the vibrations from my uh, tracker anything other than sound basically
1: how do you reconcile that with the eye mask
0: well I've gotten an eye mask now that isn't as good. So it falls off very Gosh. easily in the night. So <laughs> it is sheer luck if I do wake up with the looming light, but it does tend to, it does tend to work. And I'm massive. I don't know how I quite like the silence for the first few hours of my morning. It's quite, quite important to my, to my setup for the day. Uh, so it's really important to find a way that didn't have that kind of jarring iPhone, iPhone noise. But if there's any awesome. science claims to them, mm-hmm. I'd be interested
1: yeah well there's a solution guys just get a get a crap eye mask that just get a off.
0: really crap eye mask i get that the lumi lights are trying to mimic the sunrise but i fully appreciate that the the bulb in there simply cannot be strong enough to give you any kind of it just it cannot be there um it's a literally a usb thing that goes in the wall but i like the premise of it maybe that's the only
1: benefit yeah me too i think like it's never going to be a substitute for going outside and that should always be like as soon as you as soon as you get up as as much as you can get outside and get some physical sun on your body not just through a window but i do like that it's less abrasive you you just have a more pleasant morning i I do think the first thing that you do in the morning sets the emotional tone for the day yeah so checking instagram and getting into the comparison um, mindset or stressing yourself out with emails or something it it just colors your day so if you can gently be woken up and have a bit of silence like like you said that's probably more desirable
0: yeah wake up really nicely with the lumi light then go and have a horrible cold shower see how your morning goes <laughs> <laughs> no i'm joking actually this is i didn't ask you about this do you sleep with a phone in your room
1: i do but i've just got an alarm clock a physical one like an um,
0: old school
1: yeah just to because I, I don't even want the temptation of it in my room and then there's all the stuff about emfs and things which some people
0: ask you about that because I'm, yeah. I'm always afraid because i sleep with my well I, I i sleep with my phone near my head because i'm usually listening to something to fall asleep which probably isn't great practice but i'm always worried that oh, my wi-fi is going to get me um but yeah that's another mm. another topic altogether um fasting when do you do it do you fast
1: sometimes and it's so actually i I fast on and off and I think that that was going to be my my recommendation as well um I guess the the claim for fasting is superior fat loss and longevity claims anything else that you can think of that cognitive function cognitive function yeah I suppose
0: suppose I've got no I've only got anecdotal evidence for that um but I have personally started fasting more and for longer and I cannot preach any more about the benefits. So I don't think it's appropriate for everyone. I'm not gonna say everyone mustn't be dogmatic in that view, but for me it really works for the routine at the moment.
1: Nice. What's your schedule for it?
0: I have never done this before. I now just it's actually this is so ridiculous. It's because of the way the parking works at my gym. I don't actually go until twelve o'clock. So um so I'm now training midday and i'm now not having my first meal till 2 p.m so it's quite okay. a long fast and i'm training
1: you get used to it though don't you you get really used to it
0: and i personally don't have an issue in the morning i have a black coffee maybe another one if it's that kind of a kind of day um but you really get used to it and i love the shorter eating window so mm. i generally have three meals still they're three pretty light meals but I'll have those between 2 and, say, 7.30
1: and that's it. So that's interesting you say that because to address the is it superior for fat loss claim, all things equal, it's not. But if you are someone who doesn't really fancy a big meal in the morning, you're not a breakfast person and you're kind of forcing yourself to do it because you you think it's what you should do, you think it's the most important meal of the day, then you can you can skip it guilt-free. There is data on both sides saying breakfast is good, breakfast is bad, whatever. But I, I think it's much more about how can you set up your day so that you're um, eating in line with your, your calorie goals, whether you're trying to eat more or trying to eat less. There's also that if you're someone who doesn't like teasing yourself with little nibbles all day and you want to have like an actual satisfying meal, then fast. Because then you can get away with having let's say your intake is 1800 you can have three 600 calorie meals rather than six 300 calorie ones it just feels like a a tease
0: i actually did this with a client yesterday literally last night we were looking at her her day and ask the simple question of when is the most energy required in your day she wasn't training till much later in the evening so we need to make sure that energy is available for something pre-workout and post If that's the case, it may not be appropriate for you to be having a a breakfast or a substantial breakfast early doors in the day, because that's not when you potentially you need your energy. So be really in tune with that, because just because someone else does it, they may even be following, you know, they have similar goals to you. You might have a friend, someone next to you in the office who has a fat loss goal, too, but her day might look very, very different. So just bear that in mind
1: yeah 100 percent. so i think we've got to consider the behavioral the cognitive the um enjoyment aspect and the social aspect of this stuff rather than just being like oh actually uh fasting is not metabolically superior and therefore we shouldn't be doing it because that's not that's not the whole picture um in terms of longevity and all that stuff there are so many systems involved in feeding and fasting so there will there's a downstream cellular mechanisms of mtor and autophagy which is the kind of t- planned deliberate um, getting rid of of old cells and re- recycling of that stuff um, fasting does narrow your microbiome again it's reversible but th- there's there's a whole bunch of other systems involved in it and as you say cognitive focus but also stress if you're prone to anxiety remember when you're fasting you're digging into your reserves. And so you're into a sympathetic state, a glucagon dominant state where you're trying to um, get glucose out of your cells. And to do that puts you into a bit more of a fight flight kind of style um, of your metabolism. And that's going to make you a bit more anxious and stressed. So you, you've got to pick pick and choose depending on what what your needs are. For me, I think the, the best way around it is cycle it. Then you can get some of the benefits and you can get a break from it. And if you want to start with it, maybe try 14 to 16 hour fasts to begin with. So an eight or a 10 hour eating window. So it's not high extreme. And if you want to, if you want to hedge and get some of the longevity benefits that people claim, they tend to come from the longer fasts. So you could maybe once a month, excuse me, once a month do a 24 hour or a 36 hour fast. Um, You pointed out one final caveat which was if you have a disordered relationship with food also something to be cautious with because it can very much get you into the mode of really craving food and then seeing it as a big reward and that's not something you want to create as a cycle
0: yeah, we talk a lot about our over restriction over indulgence cycles. And what we're not trying to do is tell you to essentially you use the word starve yourself so you can then binge in the evening. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about fasting. I actually with clients never actually use the F word. I'll talk about closing your eating window. And by that, we're essentially creating a series of principles. So it's not talking about, you know, calling it fasting. It's saying we're going to follow the principle of this is the time that has your first meal is at versus the last time, potentially, of your last meal. And that's actually just bringing more structure into your day. That's not necessarily, again, being dogmatic of this is why we fast. This is the exact hours that you must eat between. That's not what this is about at all. So fasting, it may or may not be appropriate for you. I would never enforce my my views on anyone. I'm enjoying it at the moment, but should my routine change, I'm totally open to and you know, if someone was like, do you want to go for brunch? Like I'm not gonna sorry, no, I'm fasting. Absolutely not, you know, pass the pancakes. There's no, it's not that strict. And I like what you said about having that flexibility. You'll shape it around your day, I'm sure, um and your week. And I think that's really important. Um next one, this is one I know absolutely nothing about red light therapy.
1: Red light therapy. So remember we were saying at the start of this podcast of how to assess if something's useful. Are, there... Are you
0: about to tell me this is bullshit?
1: Oh, no. So th- th- so in fact, you might be able to see on that side, mm-hmm. that's the red light therapy box just there. So, ah, he so has a... one,
0: so we all need to start doing this. So this yeah, is one. <laughs>
1: so so I, I am a proponent of it and surprisingly so, because I, when I first heard about it, I thought, come on, that sounds like absolute rubbish. But if we think it is actually, it is exploiting existing physiological principles, um, there is a major historical and evolutionary purpose to being exposed to red light. And again, I think this is an anti-hack rather than a biohack, because living in roofs with windows and hiding ourselves away from natural sunlight is the, the unnatural part. <laughs> so... So we 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 now have to do something to offset that. So red light boxes aside, ideally we want to be getting natural sun. Obviously within the parameters of melanoma risk and all that stuff. But you know my my personal opinion is that the benefits of sun generally outweigh the the risks, and I I, I think the cancer thing has been a bit it, it's caused people to to overweigh the the risks of of sun. But what red light is trying to do is is mimic the, re- the, the red spectrum of light on your skin and um, that produces a whole number of cellular changes in your body as well. So from a longevity, mood, um, glucose disposal, uh, basically all of the mechanisms that exercise improves. Red light therapy will also improve, which is mad, and that's because red light produces the same kind of oxidative stress that exercise does on the cells. Um, so it will improve with tissue recovery. And the, the the reason the reason I'm struggling to actually compress how how much how broad the benefit is of red light therapy is that it acts on the cell and it improves the density of your mitochondria in the cell. So all cells in the body, regardless of type, have mitochondria. So if you can improve that, you improve the overall functioning of everything, which is insane. Um, so we have oxidative, the oxidative stress produces this kind of hormetic response. So it's a slight challenge to the body and then it has to recover from it. Um, increase in mitochondrial density slight improvement in the viscosity of the cell cytoplasm so the cell can just run more smoothly as well and and uh, increases the amount of melatonin that's produced in the mitochondria as well so there's quite a few like mechanisms there the the one that i find fascinating is we even have a chlorophyll mediated mechanism in the body so when we eat plants some of the chlorophyll is sequestered into our cells and that that there are proteins that are activated from being exposed to light. And so we, we actually, we, we can derive energy directly from bits of chlorophyll that have come into our cells, which are, which I find completely mind blowing. Um, we're going to see a lot more come out on red light therapy over the next few years in terms of how it interacts with the microbiome and all these systems. Um, and there is a surprising amount of data already on it it's just gonna take some time for it to filter into therapeutic use
0: sorry chlorophyll for dummies so i'm eating chlorophyll and the while it's in my system the red light therapy hits my skin and stimulates that chlorophyll that i've digested through the foods that i've eaten
1: yeah it is it's ridiculous so this is from the the study uh, light sensitive chlorophyll molecules are sequestered into animal tissues and the presence of the chlorophyll metabolite there is an increase in ATP in associated sorry in isolated animal mitochondria on exposure to the wavelengths so there is there's a and there's an increase in the lifespan of the the cells so that's something that like we we're seeing these kind of overlaps and interactions of stuff that we thought didn't exist previously
0: does it matter would it matter on the quality of the plant produce that you're eating so say you're eating low quality plant produce would you be getting a suitable amount of chlorophyll
1: i don't know i think i'm not sure whether it's to do with the quality of the plant and more the type of plant whether it's a chlorophyll rich one or not
0: Oh, of course that would make sense because there's more chlorophyll to begin with can you would that be the same effect if you just lay out in the sun so say i wasn't in the uk and i ate some chlorophyll dense material and i went and lay out in the sun would i get the same benefit
1: possibly the the other thing I, I don't know is how how much of a contributor is the the chlorophyll mechanism to overall human function it it might just be a little kind of the,
0: yeah. the actual the effect on the mitochondria and the cytoplasm is probably a bigger um net benefit isn't it because every single one of our cells has i'm really trying to remember higher biology here every one of our cells has this yeah so as you're it's the kind of upgrade of everything functioning in the body that is the the consideration here
1: yeah exactly which which is such a such a crazy
0: and that's, I, that's so funny. You're saying that's probably the one that you're most that you in this book. What I was saying would you regard this the highest of it,
1: of all the diets. It's the one that I was most skeptical of, and now I'm most sold on because of uh, looking through the data. And the the thing is though, it like it's not you're not going to immediately be like, wow, I feel like a new person. But yeah, the the improvements in your muscle recovery, soreness, mood, sleep quality, um, skin quality. Um, Improvement in like the the it's just energy levels, and I'm I'm just looking through here some of the some of the claims and some of the like I so said, there's Im- immune modulated effects as well. I did three months of daily red light therapy, sitting in front of that box, uh, or oh, thyroid hormone as well. Like th- thing, it, I've seen data on people who are on thyroxin and were able to come off because of treatment with red light therapy now it will have been targeted treatment with specific wavelengths and de- and densities and distances and all that stuff but it, I think there's a huge amount of exciting stuff to come with red light
0: and talk to me about that box what happens you you go in front of it and what do you have to do you have to get naked do you have to just stand there can you do other things what's the what's the practice
1: you you've got it so depending on the density the or the the depth of the tissues you're looking to treat that determines how far from the box you need to sit and what I did was I've got a a disc herniation in my back so I wanted to try and treat that primarily so I sat in front of it naked um, in the morning 10 to 20 minutes for three months and I tested my blood markers before and after as well um, to try and see was there any improvement in hormones, blood lipids, um, immune markers. There wasn't much change but for me I was going from normal bloods to normal so I wouldn't expect to see them go from normal to abnormal generally things trended in the right direction within the normal range though so my crp went down my testosterone went up um my hba1c stayed the same and i think a couple of the other markers were were relatively stable so um not spectacular but i'd be worried if it was spectacularly changing
0: and that was in quite a focused area as well
1: i was doing front and back yeah
0: Interesting. I'm going to ask you the question then because I was going to leave this to the end, but I found this article from the New York Post, and this is actually inspired by, you know, Liver King.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: He's had his... A... <laughs> um, one of the things that I've seen him do, and I'm not advocating this at all, um, but I came across something called perineum sunning. Have you heard about this?
1: Yeah, the the gurus on Twitter are big on this.
0: Well, this was from someone called ra of earth influencer in a mere 30 seconds of sunlight to your butthole you will receive more energy from this electric node than you would in an entire day of being outside with your clothes on so the this article is about these men who go outside basically spread their cheeks to the sun (laughs) and in 30 seconds apparently receive everything that they need on a scale of not to bullshit where are we or is yeah. there method in the madness
1: i mean that's that's just pervert behavior isn't it i
0: I, mean, I just wonder where they do it i mean i'm looking at my garden and i'm just it wouldn't be the the best environment but i mean is there any is there any method
1: in this is there I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were like you need to do it in the most public place possible to maximise the, <laughs> to the so, um, yeah i i have heard this claim and i i just think the why Why would you have more, such a high density of photoreceptors in your bumhole and perineum compared to anywhere else? It, Evolution
0: it has done us, it's set us <laughs> it up so well. Why would it, exactly, why would it place um, our, basically our solar panels in a place where the sun literally does not shine?
1: Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's even the expression, isn't it? So for me, even though I haven't seen the data on it, I'm willing to be proven wrong, but it doesn't pass the sniff test of, how do we assess if it's useful? We mentioned at the start.
0: Wonderful. I have a few scientist uh, clients. If you could get in touch with the most uh, recent studies on um, and sunning, that would be absolutely fantastic. Might have, um, to, have to
1: clear your search history afterwards.
0: <laughs> don't do it at work. <laughs> um Next one. Not a. I wouldn't class this as a biohack necessarily, but I wanted to get your take on meditation. Is it something you do?
1: Yeah, it is something I do. It's a very dear practice to me. I think it's been hijacked. So it's being it, it's been marketed as a relaxation tool. And I think it's just not designed as that. It's not a relaxation tool. The whole point of meditation and the reason that it came about, if we look into, if we look at the horse's mouth and, and, and Buddhist philosophy is that it's to undo the illusion of self. And I had a chat with a guy called Daniel Ingram, who is a emergency medicine doctor who's basically completed meditation spent multiple months in retreat and he's now achieved the the outcome he's he's undone the illusion of, of self and he he lives in a functionally different brain state to to most people um he says a lot of people will if they're hyper responders to meditation and they they just start without having that context they can end up finding themselves in really deep water because they're having experiences that they think are then becoming psychotic, and they're not able to place why this is happening. And what it is is because you you've started someone on a, a path of undoing a lot of the the basic fabric of their belief structures without giving them adequate warning that this is what you're doing. So, I would say for meditation, do some reading about it. Make sure that it is a thread that you want to start pulling on before starting a practice. Um, don't think that because it's sitting quietly on a cushion that it's safe. I don't think anything is 100% safe. Um, I'd recommend looking at a book called Mindfulness in Plain English by Hennepala Gorantana. It's a very accessible book on that. Um, and then if, if it's something that you're keen on, then just start with an app. I'm sure any insight timer, calm, any of those things, just to dip your toe into it. And then once you're comfortable with the practice and you know where it's taking you, then you can take the stabilizers off and go full in.
0: Okay, I'm so interested in this. I don't know, and I'm glad you actually mentioned apps because I wasn't sure whether this would be something you would frown upon. I was going to start an app, um, Sam Harris's um, Sam Harris's one. I've listened to a couple of podcasts with him on and I wanted to just test the waters. What I've never heard someone talk about almost completing meditation like a video game i've never heard of that as a i suppose i just always presumed wrongly that it was one of these journeys that you never saw the end of there was always more to discover but that's really flipped on its head for me
1: i think it's a real everest it's not something it's something very few people in the world have have done but it we and we can see the functional correlates in the fmris of people that there are a few people who are who have kind of submitted themselves to science and said look I have done 10,000 hours of meditation and now my subjective experience is fundamentally different, like my phenomenology is flipped on its head. And and rightly, you look at their brains and you can actually see that there is very little blood flow in the default mode network and there is a lot of activity in the tasking network. Most people, it's the other way around. So these people who have completed meditation, their, their brain looks like somebody who is on a psychedelic drug but just constantly. So that that's really interesting to see. And the way they describe it, so Daniel Ingram talks about his experience as being decentralized. So he says, if there's a glass of water over there, previously, prior to this shift happening, the glass of water was there, sensory input was coming to here and then it was being processed and then it was being projected back out onto there so he's like okay i'm over here and the glass water's over there now the water's just there and there's no processor over here if it's raining outside the rain is happening there it's not happening bouncing off here does that make sense
0: yes it sounds like once you open that door it's like you don't know what you don't know do you You can't unsee and i think what you just said about being potentially doing a little bit of research before you start opening that door is maybe a good idea.
1: I think it's wise, yeah, especially and the like, Sam Harris stuff because that that's very much self inquiry practices of trying to turn the eyeball back on itself. Um, so with,
0: in words, for the average Joe, if we were, I mean, I'm thinking of a busy mum. Kids get up in the morning. The mornings are always super super busy, but they want to bring a little bit more, uh, maybe objective time objective thought into their day when we talk about meditation can it simply be used as a practice to reduce stress levels or to is that or is that a very superficial way to be looking at it
1: i mean it it can be i don't believe it's the most efficient way to get there and also it carries the potential rare but real risk of um uncovering stuff in your mind that you're that could take you by surprise um i would say for for what most people are trying to get out of meditation which is really the relaxation and and a bit of distance from their thoughts i would start with a gentle breath work practice or lying relaxation like progressive muscle relaxation
0: because it gives you something to concentrate on doesn't it that's not necessarily internal and if you are someone who perhaps has uh, some unresolved trauma or maybe you're looking into that in other areas maybe that's not the type of thing that you necessarily want to that's more anxiety inducing isn't it the, rather than the other way around
1: yeah 100% and I think if if there is a chance that you're going to be dealing with trauma it's, it's always good to work through that with a professional in a safe space with someone who's experienced and can can guide you through that so I'm a big advocate mm-hmm. of therapy
0: Yep, I'm. I'm surprised, pleasantly surprised that you meditate. Actually, I don't know why I didn't think that you would. Is it time blocked though into the day?
1: Sometimes um, I've done. I've, I meditated for a while. I think on my Insight Timer, it's about a thousand hours. Um, but what's what's really interesting, if you'll indulge me with this, um, there's a guy who actually wrote out um, what you experience at different levels of meditation. So, if I can find it, uh, I might what ask. app do you use, you Uh I just use Insight Timer, so that's just a way to, um, to 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 track the the time. So there's no there's no guidance or anything. It just rings a bell, and then at the end, it rings a bell and tracks the time. Mm-hmm. So this was from Project Monkey Mind. So he talks about like. At 100 hours, you get less stress, less anxiety, less fear, more focus, optimism. Um, At 1,000 hours, there's the sense of being driven and aware and intuitive, reduced need for sleep, increased capacity to experience love, higher pain tolerance, um, sharper concentration, improved emotional sensitivity. Um, And then 5,000 hours, much of the ego dissolves, very little attachment to any point of view, um... Deep feelings of peace will pop up and stay for unpredictable amounts of time. Boredom never occurs. Like quite fundamental changes in your in the state of your consciousness.
0: I'd I'd like to bring all of those attributes to my <laughs> to <Yeah>. myself. <laughs> I better get racking up those hours. And um, I will. Have you got time to just run through a couple more? For sure. Um, grounding.
1: Grounding. So I had a quick look up with grounding recently, because the claims are and what grounding is, is being outside with your bare feet on the ground to discharge electrical currents from your body into the floor. So the claim is that it reduces inflammation, improves sleep, improves stress, and that it neutralizes the free radicals in your body by balancing the body's electrical charge. Funnily enough, the reality is that it is legit by the looks of it. Early stages in the research, kind of makes sense from an evolutionary perspective too so i think it passes you know level one of the sniff test there's probably part of the benefits is just from being outside so and it's hard to separate the two unless you put someone in like a black box stand them outside which is a bit weird um when someone is sleeping on a grounding mat they've found reduced measured cortisol um, which is interesting. So they they that you'd argue that improve, sets up the groundwork to sleep better. Uh, there's no control group. Generally, women respond better to that as an intervention, and it helps them to synchronize their sleep cycle. There's also improvements that we've seen in the stickiness of red blood cells, blood glucose management, immune markers, um, and it just makes sense intuitively. So I would say what we're going to see probably over the next few years is this converging of grounding contacting the floor eating plants being exposed to the sun like all these things which like we did thousands of years ago of just basic interaction with nature and seeing how they produce these neurochemical correlates um we're you know even stuff about walking through nature and and the pace of the environment going past you is meant to do something to do with memory processing and mood regulation like we can get neurosciency about it but going for a walk in nature is quite relaxing so it all kind of comes around full circle doesn't it
0: yeah I was thinking about this one I was trying to think about and pinpoint the last time that I walked without shoes on and I don't know if you've noticed this and I only noticed it said uh, I went to the spa a little while ago and had a massage now as soon as they touched my feet this is this is strange but as soon as they touched my feet I realized how much tension there was in there. We have so much tension in our feet. As soon as she went like this I just felt them go and I would imagine I mean I don't spend an awful lot of time with my shoes off. It's it's January in in England. Um but I would imagine that the effect of you having to actually use your feet for walking which which actually we don't do because we're we we wear these really supportive essentially marshmallows don't we if you're wearing kind of spongy trainers you don't have that contact and for me my feet are really really tense i would imagine that if you didn't have the shoes on and you had to actually use your feet for their purpose that it would actually be quite relaxing
1: yeah from a mechanical point of view as well then so we' the, the grounding claim is electrochemical but you're right mm. that even just Taking off the the casts that we put on our feet and just being able to contact the floor fully and spread our toes, there's there's benefit to that in being proprioception and feeling the floor and connecting and all the upstream stuff with hip hip and knee problems and everything else. There's a there's an exercise that you might find a bit minging, but um, from Kit Lachlan and we did it at his uh, weekend workshop, which is it was a stretch workshop. You get your foot like this. And then with your, with your hand, you interlace your knuckles all the way in between your toes. And then you do that. So you kind of, for anyone listening, you, you've interlaced left hand with right foot all the way to the knuckles. And it's pretty painful because you're not used to spreading your toes that far. And just roll them around and twist them and bend them. And and doing that as a daily practice, you will improve your toe spread and your your sense of being grounded. And Mm -hmm. particularly if you if you suffer from tight muscles in your feet or fascia, it can be a a nice little thing to to try and loosen up those tissues.
0: Have you ever seen those um, Amazonian tribes where they're, they're really, really good at climbing trees? No, they have really good toe spread. Because if you think about it, if you're every single day you're spending time going climbing up your tree, you only have a couple of points of contact, don't you? Your hands, your feet. Your feet have to be doing more than our Western Nike covered feet. They actually, they have a wider spread and the actual digits themselves are muscular. It's the most bizarre thing you'll ever see. Um, So, yeah, if you're ever in the Amazon, have a little look at the the toes of the the (laughs)
1: Amazon. Next time you're in the Amazon. Yeah, (laughs) because you're right. Our Western Nike covered feet have just fallen asleep. So, they
0: have that's a really good way like, to put yeah. it and um yeah so grounding potentially and we may see a little bit more of it i think it's ben greenfield who talks about i think they sleep on the floor or they definitely they've talked about grounding mats or something along those lines
1: yeah so I, i've slept on the floor for about four months while i while i moved into a new house and couldn't afford a bed but and it's it's quite it it's it's, an, it's a nice experience it does feel very solid and grounded but Ben Greenfield lives in like a wood hut off grid with all kind of everything's wired in rather than any Wi-Fi or anything. The reason I'm saying that is because I'm hesitant to say, go out and buy a grounding mat to sleep on. Because if you are in a Wi-Fi zone, even from your neighbor's router and that kind of stuff, what it can do is turn you into an antenna for all of the signals and actually worsen the EMF stuff. I don't understand enough about electrophysiology to to know how to minimize that and whatever, but um, you just got to be a bit careful if you're getting one, especially a grounding mat that you plug into the mains that you're not making things worse. Oh, even sure-
0: logically, I think the minute you plug something in, that's is that not just undoing anything that we were trying to achieve?
1: So it's it's plug as far as I know they're they're plugged in, but just into the earth pin, oh, and there's no power going to it. But yeah, I mean. This stuff's a rabbit
0: hole. Um, I'm gonna ask you last one on one that I am keen about, plastics. Anyone that listens to this podcast or has been a client of mine will at some point in time I can guarantee I've had to make lunch on the go, have, you know, prepped food, have uh batch cooked, something like this, and we all have to use or we have been using some form of Tupperware. I hear that this is not the route we should be going down and i'm now scared of tupperware, uh protein shakers, receipts. um what was the other one? tell me, tell me why.
1: Yeah. So the what what we're seeing over the last 50 years or so is some quite worrying trends in human health. And it's it's obviously very hard to isolate like what's it down to and 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 often some of these things we won't find out until it's too late but my theory is that our exposure to industrial plastics in food in packaging in um, cosmetics and all this kind of stuff is accumulating in our bodies and it's disrupting our hormone systems so we are seeing some of the signs in, in the so sperm count has dropped a lot over the last 30 to 40 years to the point where they've had to keep moving the goalposts of the normal range just because if they didn't everybody would be um, hypospermic so th- that's that's getting quite concerning there's an increase in the rate of hormone sensitive cancers there's a bunch of metabolic um, downstream effects as well so we're seeing stuff where we are being exposed to plastics industry obviously won't want you to to make the link between it being their fault and the impact on your body but my my simple solution is just see if you can eliminate as many sources of unnecessary plastic and fragrances and cosmetics and that kind of thing as you can and see what happens so i did it myself i did two blood tests 12 weeks apart trying to eliminate as many sources of plastic in in my body as possible And my testosterone went up, my free testosterone went went up, my SHBG went down. So all these these moved in the right direction. Hard to know, you know. I'm just I'm just one guy doing a blood test, but the the theory makes sense, and it's getting more and more concerning. So definitely something I would. It's a hole in the bucket that I would say let's let's just take a look at see what sources of artificial estrogens you can eliminate easy wins are switch your plastic tupperware for pyrex tupperware don't microwave anything in plastic because when that happens the plastic starts to melt and it becomes more viscous and um, gets into your food if you've ever had something tomatoey like a tomatoey curry in tupperware and then even after you clean it out it's still stained red because the acidity in the tomato curry will disrupt the the layer of the plastic and leach into your food so, the simple fix is it, like, and it tastes better as well. Is to use some Pyrex.
0: Suppose can I ask a stupid question? Hormones for dummies. If is artificial oestrogen different from that produced biolog- produced by
1: ourselves? Yeah, it so it is. Um, it's worse. It's worse for men's hormone hormonal profiles. And if you look at the speaking of perineum, the length of the perineums um of babies over the years have got shorter, particularly in some animals as well. And we're seeing changes in their sort of sexual morphology, um, because they might be more sensitive to that in the embryo or in in, in, in utero. Um but for women, it's still not a good thing to have excess exposure to estrogen, particularly because estrogenic compounds in plastic are not quite estrogen. They're just compound which agonizes that receptor but hangs around and also does a few things which which normal estrogen doesn't and it sticks around, doesn't get metabolized by the liver, so it sticks in the cells and so it it's also not a not something that's um a good thing to to be exposed to.
0: Not very well. And if men are exposed to more estrogen as a byproduct to death, is that why their testosterone is going down? Can the two not exist?
1: in they, tandem they can yeah but um it's it's going to be i i i don't think it's like one for one so it's not
0: like a seesaw it doesn't work like
1: it's no. it's not not quite a seesaw um because the testosterone is being synthesized and the estrogen is coming in exogenously um but it will it, I, i'm convinced it will impact ability to gain muscle ability to lose fat um, neurochemical changes um cancer risk sperm count all these things, and we can wait for industry to finally, like the whole plastics industry, to go up. Oh, sorry, actually, I think we've been causing these problems, or we can do something about it now
0: and limit our contact. This is one that I'm really going to think about and really consider going forward because it's just so easy, as well, isn't it? If you just change all your Tupperware.
1: Yeah, it wasn't a huge change for me. Like the the other thing is fragrances and, and parabens and stuff. Um, there are there is data to say that even if you wear clothes that's been washed with um, heavily fragrance detergent that that's enough for to affect your blood levels of these parabens and of um, these compounds um, you can take are,
0: them through your
1: you through. can absorb it through your skin yeah your, your, your skin's a very um, absorbent organ really there's also things like unnecessary stuff like scented dishes like you don't need scented dishes it's totally unnecessary so i just made a a few substitutions of the basic cosmetics that i used to go for ones that are unfragranced um and then to switch out my tupperware for for pyrex and it wasn't too much of an inconvenience
0: yes i'm someone who put like the fabric softener like upside down and just let it fill all the way to the top of the washing machine maybe (laughs) i need to be really considering my use of 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 a fragrance
1: so i've got a list of what I, I went down a painstaking rabbit hole to try and find a out you've of done one. all
0: the work <laughs> for us like you said people are busy we don't have the time
1: yeah there we go so I'll, I'll i'll send you the link for the products that um that i'd recommend i was i must have been such a pain in the arse i was like tweeting e-cover um washing up liquid and being like guys what's this particular ingredient in your, <laughs> your list i, can't, <laughs> I can't <find> <laughs>
0: But you've done all um, you've done all the hard work. So if we were to conclude out of the list that we've put pre- uh, that we've gone through today, there are some obvious ones that you seem to be a fan of. I mean, you have blue light blockers. You fully advocate the the red light therapy. Uh, meditation is another one. Is there anything else that you would really give a green light to if people were looking to really optimize their um, optimize their
1: health? I would say, from a meditation and related practices perspective breath or lying relaxation or a stretching practice or yoga if you just want something that's like out the box um the other ones that i think you cover a, a lot in your in your other content so you won't be won't be new to your listeners but lifting weights minimizing caffeine minimizing alcohol don't smoke get your sleep in order get your diet in order just the the basic stuff because that's going to contribute 80 percent plus do you drink all, alcohol all this stuff What was that? Do you drink alcohol? No, but that's more of a. I was brought up Muslim, and I never really got the taste for it.
0: Yeah, Um, no, it's just a question. I have um, since the I just reduced my intake significantly. It wasn't bad, but um, reduced my intake um, over the last little while, and really shockingly feel the benefit of it. And uh, that has been one of the one of the big ones recently. But you're right. Get your ducks in a row. Hit all of the markers that we that we talk about. Um, normally before we start adding any of this in but this has been such a good chat such a good walkthrough of everything I think we have covered a massive list and had a really extensive uh, deep dive into these I've definitely learned some uh some new facts I know what I will be focusing on going forward um but I just want to say a massive thank you because it was really great to get you on the podcast and get um a are we still allowed to call you dr when does the when's Ooh, the expiration
1: yeah, when, when do i lose the title
0: well i <laughs> saw it was still on your instagram so i thought we were okay to go with dr yusuf keep yeah it i keep uh, it.
1: haven't i haven't done a shift in about a year so maybe maybe i should i should top top myself up so i, can I don't still...
0: know when's your at winter insurance when's your insurance oh i still
1: i still pay for that but uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> if, you, if you still pay i'm sure you can still call yourself
1: fair enough yeah it's been an absolute pleasure caroline thank you for thank for having you me so on.
0: much for um for joining us and we will see you next week on the health expert podcast. Oh my goodness. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I did recording it. Dr. Youssef, thank you so much for your expertise. I left that recording with so much energy, so much energy and in feeling really inquisitive into my own health practices. And I hope it's done exactly the same for you. And you know, at CWC, we're all about taking action. And there's a couple of things that I've implemented since the recording of that episode. So I ordered the blue light blockers. They weren't the ones that I, the pretty ones, but as we talked about, it's not what they look like, is it? So clients, when you're jumping on calls with me over the next few weeks, I'm gonna have them on. So you'll see I'm, uh, I'm practicing what I preach. I've also been literally taking the plunge, so cold water immersion. I have been dabbling, dipping my toe, excuse the pun, in the cold showers that we were talking about. Now I'm on 30 seconds, and before anyone raises an eyebrow and thinks, Caroline, 30 seconds, that's not that impressive at all. Time stands still in a cold shower, let me tell you. And the idea with everything that we do is going to be to progressively overload, to do a little bit more time, a little bit more time, a little bit more time until I acclimatize to the the feeling. It's quite unique. I can't really describe it. Go and do it yourself and see exactly what I mean. And the last one is The meditation app that I talked about in the podcast, it's Sam Harris's Waking Up app. Now, this was probably the one that I was most skeptical about. Skeptical, yet open-minded. And it is something that I have been doing. I'm going to be really careful with what I say, because I'm going to give it a little bit more time. I think that's only fair. However, I can say I've already noticed a difference in the way that I am thinking the way that I... Actually, you know what? I'm not going to go into it. I'm going to discuss this at a later date. You have a little bit more time, test it, but it's something that I am going to continue to try. So. Those are the practices that I have um, that I've taken. One of the things that I really was mindful of when I stepped away from this podcast recording was how personal this all is. Um, it's really, really important that we're looking at through the lens of our own lifestyle and what's applicable and relevant to us. Plus the credibility side of things. We live in a space and, and an age that's just abundant with information and everyone has an opinion Everyone has a 10 second opinion, don't they? On everything. And I would be very careful of taking advice from those without real credibility, without real backing or knowledge. And I think there's a bit of a bullshit test, isn't there? Ask people if they employ these practices themselves. What do they actually do? Do they practice what they preach? Or is it just something that someone has a as I say, a quick fire opinion on. So those are the main things from me. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. As I mentioned at the start of the recording, we are running our six week power challenge. If you're looking to kickstart your health and fitness journey, but you're not sure where to start, you want to outsource your training, your nutrition, you want the support of not only a team of coaches, but also a team of other clients looking to make positive changes to their lifestyle. The six week power challenge is For you. If you'd like to find out more about what we do, there are links in the social media platforms that we run to our power challenge, and we'll be starting this on the 6th of February. This is a an intake. We're starting on the 6th of February. Everyone will be doing so because we're going to coach you through everything from start to finish. So if you want to be part of this program, that is the date that we start. So get in touch before, secure your space. We do have limited spaces because we need to be able to dedicate enough time to all of the clients on that program. And if you've gotten this far in this podcast, I do sincerely appreciate it. You know, I love podcasts. You know that there are... There are so many great voices in this space and so much knowledge and the fact that you give us your time and I have listened to this episode, I do sincerely appreciate it. If you could spend, and if you found this valuable, if you could spend a couple more seconds doing one of the following, either sending this podcast recording to someone that you think would find it valuable. Maybe you've had a conversation over the coffee machine at work about cold water immersion. Well, maybe you want to send this podcast to the person. If you think there is someone in your life who would find this valuable, send it to them. We'd really appreciate it, and I'm sure they would too or you can share on your social media platforms, tag myself and Dr. Yusuf, or scroll down on your preferred podcast platform, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and give us either a follow or a subscribe. The more the podcast grows, the more guests we can bring onto our platform and get their voices and their messages heard. So thank you so much, Dr. Youssef, for doing just that. And we'll catch you next week on the Health Hacks podcast.